homeschool expert is here to equip you to homeschool confidently with help from the experts. You can do this, and we are here to help. Visit homeschoolexpert.com for video and print resources. Helping you homeschool confidently is our host, Ann Crossman, and her guest expert for today's special broadcast. Hello, friend. I'm so glad you've joined us today for this conversation on Homeschool Expert. Talking with us today is accomplished executive and former homeschooler, David Hobbit. And today we want to focus our conversation around the topic of homeschoolers a generation later. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So I appreciate you making time to talk with us about your experiences homeschooling. But before we get into that topic, could you introduce yourself a bit to listeners and tell them a bit about how and where you grew up, as well as your post-high school education and career, all those good details. Yeah, I'll be happy to. And then, you know, if I'm not, if I'm neglecting a part or forgetting something, you know, just just dive back in and let me know. But uh, yeah, so for context, so, you know, as the listeners will probably find out as uh, this inter- interview goes on, uh, and you and I know each other from college, so we're roughly the same age, which means I... Uh, my family started homeschooling in the mid '80s when I was in elementary school. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a small town in Western North Carolina, a town of about 15,000 people, uh, kind of in the the middle middle Midwest of the state, so about an hour away from the Appalachian Mountains. Um, it was a wonderful place to grow up. So we had, you know, I was one of four. I have an older brother, two younger sisters. We were all homeschooled from first or second grade all the way through all the way through 12th grade so all of us mm-hmm. went all the way through high school uh, all of us went on to get a four-year college degree uh, after that uh, and that's kind of a bit of our homeschool journey I you know when we started my mother and both of my parents I mean but my mother did you know as with most homeschooling families my mother was the day in and day out educator uh, and and they were really on the front end uh, of that wave. So I, I did a little bit of research uh, for this, and, and uh, I think the best data we have is about there's about a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand kids being homeschooled uh, in the mid '80s. Yeah, sounds uh, which, right. Yeah, which you know, on the one hand, is not nothing, but on the other hand, if you think about you know the number of children nationwide, it's you know it's a drop in the bucket, and it's certainly a fraction of the number of of children and families homeschooling today. So I think there are 2.5 million now being homeschooled. So it's significantly more. Yeah. So yeah. So early, early, early forerunner days. Um, Yeah. And it was, uh, you know, we could talk a lot more about that, but um, yeah, it was, it was certainly interesting. I mean, look, I I was in elementary school. I didn't, I don't, uh, I know I didn't fully appreciate the time, just how, um, Countercultural, my parents are being, and how uh, mm-hmm. you know the, the level of courage it probably took to make some of those decisions at a time when there wasn't, a, you know, other people weren't aware of homeschooling. So a lot, of, a lot of the conversations my parents had in those early years, you know, with their family were, wait, what is homeschooling, and why are we doing this with our kids, and how, you know, how do we know that we're not screwing them up permanently and things like that? Yeah. And they just, they just took a lot of courage to to do that. And uh, some, again, some of it I was aware of at the time. A lot of it in retrospect, I look back and go, wow, that was that was really brave of them. So, yeah, so grew up in Western North Carolina, kind of highlights after that, as I mentioned, went off uh, directly from homeschool to Duke University, which is where Annie and I know each other from. Right. Yeah. Um, majored in political science, minored in English, so kind of very liberal artsy. Uh, since Duke, uh, I spent about six years at 
McKinsey and Company, which is a strategy consulting firm. And you know, for the sake of this podcast, not to not not to brag, but just to let people know that homeschool graduates can go on and have you know productive careers. Um, McKinsey is is the leading management consulting firm, management uh, or strategy consulting firm in the globe. It, it invented right. the industry. Um, at some point in time, I don't know if it's still true, but at some point in time, uh, McKinsey had sent off more Fortune 5 CEOs than any other organization, right? So it's definitely a a remarkable set of experiences there. It was that, After, yeah. Yeah. After McKinsey, uh, somewhere, you know, in addition to that, spent, uh, got an MBA or master bu- Master's of Business from the Kellogg School at Northwestern. Uh, I spent the last six years as the executive director of a Christian campus ministry called the Veritas Forum, uh, which operates on campuses in 12 countries around the world. So it's been an interesting journey, a a wonderful journey, but that gives you a sense of some of the things I've done along that uh, uh, since homeschooling and since college. Uh, The other other thing I'll point out uh, or mentioned was uh, also spent a bit of time in private equity as well, for those of uh, individuals aware of that, with a firm called Colbert, mm. Gravis, and Roberts, or KKR. Mm, yeah, so again, I say that not to, not to brag, but to, to just highlight that, you know, if there are parents listening to this, wondering if their kids can be homeschooled and go on and be productive, you know, hopefully, yeah, I would like to think I've been able to carve out a bit of a productive path. Yeah, thank you. No, that's absolutely the right context to give, especially with, as you pointed out in the beginning, us coming out of that generation of one to 200 early homeschoolers. I think the feedback my parents got was, uh, you're creating square pegs for round holes. What are you, you're going to ruin them for life. And so it is important that we establish coming out of it. Actually, it didn't ruin us. We've, we've done well, um, and happy and successful. And so not, it's not braggadocious at all. It's very helpful to give context in response to those early concerns from, from the eighties. So I think that's great. Um, and yeah, as you pointed out, we met at Duke university. So David is a great friend from a long time and for a long time, I hope. Um, and as undergrads, I remember having conversations with you about our shared history as homeschoolers. Um, and that was sort of unique for us both to be at an elite institution and to have that similar background. Um, so we'll go into that a little bit later, but before we do, David, could you expand for us what homeschooling looked like for you as a child? Um, how do you perceive your education now looking looking back on it? And can you talk about your parents' role in your education and your community? Yeah, it's a great question. I um, and, and there's a lot in that question. So again, continue to, to probe if I'm missing stuff. But you know, the, I think particularly the early years in elementary school through middle school, um, there was just a lot of space. I think I think one of the great gifts that homeschooling gave us and gave me was a lot of space to explore the things that I was passionate about, right? Mm-hmm. Which is not at all the way I would have said that in elementary school, but in retrospect, that's what was happening, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think it's for anybody who spent any time researching homeschooling or wondering whether they should do it or what the pros and cons are, I think one of the frequent things that people highlight is when you're homeschooling, you've got you know, just yourself and your siblings, or maybe it's a small co-op or something. One of the things that happens is you cut out, you know, all the distractions of 30 kids in the classroom and all of the sort of things that are called classroom management and you know, just all the time that gets sucked into that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just, the lion's share of that gets, it's eliminated, right? And so it's basically just you and, and your teacher. And so a lot of that time gets freed up to then allocate to things that you actually want to do. 
and learning that you want to do. And so my mm-hmm. biggest recollection from elementary school in particular was, you know, we'd probably spend about half the day doing things that look like school and another mm-hmm. half of the day doing things that are much more sort of self-directed exploring. So, you know, we'd go to mm-hmm. a lot of nature reserves and we'd go to local museums and we do lots and lots of field trips and lots of things that just were about discovery, about, um, yeah, exploring the world around us. We spent a lot of time reading. I think mm-hmm. one of the things we did that I'll be uh, forever grateful for is one of the things we did almost every day for years in homeschooling, uh, you know, again, up until sometime in middle school, we probably stopped, but my mom would read to us, uh, maybe even half an hour, an hour a day from the book. Uh, and it was, mm-hmm. you know, we, we sometimes it was a, a, a children's novel. Sometimes it was literary nonfiction. Sometimes it was history. It kind of went, and it usually went along with the other things that we were studying. But that was actually really formative, just to spend a lot of time getting exposed to good writers, good language, good literature mm-hmm. uh, in that context uh, was, was, was very formative. Um, what else can I tell you? And what am I, I feel like you're asking me to, to, to say what my experience is like, like through like 12 years of, of life. And so, uh, <laughs> that's great. It's great. That's a little ways back there. I know we've got to reach into the past. No, I, <clears throat> my mom did the same thing, um, reading to us every day. And I have a lot of fond memories, uh, with that. And my kids now that we're homeschooling, they, they actually beg for it, but we haven't gotten to do it yet today. Uh, so it is a highlight. I, I remember that as well. Um, but yeah, can, can you help explain? So I remember you telling me stories about how your mom taught you to read, um, or even in her own exhaustion, like you putting her to sleep, reading her stories from your early phonics reader books, um, <laughs> or how did your parents find material? Right. Cause I remember my yeah. mom having to go to a drugstore for a math book cause they just didn't have curriculum back then. Yeah, no, I'm glad you remember that story. Cause it's one of the ones that I, I was thinking about in advance of this, where what Angie's referring to there is when I, um, when my mom was teaching me to read, and again, I've got three other siblings, so older brother, two younger sisters. Uh, it was when we were actually living uh, right outside of Cleveland, Ohio. Then um, we were there for a couple of years and then moved to North Carolina. And um, it was the middle of winter, so it was cold outside. And we have these, you know, we'd have these old, ba- uh, old um, cast iron, uh, boiler heaters in every room and when I you know, it was probably first grade and we'd sit down and go through you know the Dick and Jane books it's you know probably what most people learn to read with and uh, we as, somehow as kids we like we were devious enough at that age to know that like you know within about 15 minutes of her and I sitting together near a space heater in the middle of winter me reading slowly through you know sea spot run uh-huh. Almost every day without fail, she'd start nodding off about 15 minutes in. <laughs> and then we'd go and kind of play like, uh, you know, little, uh, you know, Lord of the Fly style for another half hour <laughs> to an hour before she woke up and realized what had happened. I think we got that going for like a couple of weeks, uh, which is great. Um, but anyway, <laughs> but it gives you an example. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's a lot of like one-on-one tutoring. Um, yep. I mean. One of the things I'm always a little, and I hear less of it now, but particularly still when homeschooling was not as prevalent as it is today, and people would wonder whether children coming out of homeschooling could get a decent education. Mm-hmm. And again, particularly for the early years, you know, one of the huge 
factors that go into quality education is student teacher ratio. And, you know, just at the most simplistic level, if you're getting, you know, extended one-on-one attention from a teacher, um, it's just a, an environment set up to be successful. Um, my mom did happen to have, yeah, yeah, much more customized across the board. Now my mom did have an elementary ed degree. She had taught, uh, elementary ed for, uh, before having us and, before going down that path. So, you know, she was well-equipped to do it even uh, vocationally. Um, but just benefiting from that one-on-one attention and that customized attention is, is hugely beneficial. Mm-hmm. I know one of the concerns I hear from families considering homeschooling is the expense of it. And when I think back to our initial days, because there was so little curriculum available, it didn't feel like a financial stretch to purchase what was there because there was so little there, right? we made use of our libraries. In a lot of ways, there was no internet. So it's not like we could pull files from offline and print them out for free like you can even today. But um, I know you and I, similarly with our backgrounds and very modest upbringings. So how did your parents make that work um, even financially and creatively so that it was affordable for them to homeschool all four of you? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think, you know, the reality is my mom didn't have a job outside the home while she was homeschooling. I, I don't know how anybody would do that. Uh, and so, at, you know, at, at a pretty you know, high level, you know, they had decided to structure their lives around one income. You're right. My, my dad had a professional career, but it wasn't it wasn't um, you know, we were far from rich. And so you know, we my parents lived very frugally. Um, and I think that was part of it. And I, I think it would have been hard to do it without them um, living frugally. We didn't take a lot of trips. Mm-hmm. We didn't do a lot of things that um, would have felt luxurious. Um, so, the, you know, at a high, you know, off the bat, that's, that's certainly a, a meaningful part of it. In terms of the actual cost of curriculum and things like that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it was early enough that there weren't thousands of publishers vying to sell us or buying to sell my parents, you know, uh, complete soup to nut teaching packages for tons and tons of money. It was a lot of, you know, some of our, some of our um, curriculum was what was being sold to standard classrooms. Some of it was Mm -hmm. customizable. Some of it was being sold to Christian schools. And my parents were sort of piecemealing it together every year uh, a little bit. There was only maybe one or two years where they actually, where my, my parents tried to do a sort of soup to nuts, all integrated curriculum. And then, and then went back to sort of, you know, sax and math is what we used for math, which I have no idea if that's still a thing, but I think was pretty standard then. It is still um, a thing. Yep. That's a good one. There, there you go. Uh, yeah. And just, you know, different publishers for biology and physics and math and language arts. And, and, and I mean, you mentioned the library I and mean, we spent a lot of time at the library. Library is probably a second mm-hmm. home for us. I, mean, I think we yeah. were there all the time. Um, yeah. and some of that was more formally as part of our curriculum. And, you know, as we were doing a, uh, you know, as we were doing a, a set on, you know, whatever it was, whether it's the revolutionary war or, or anything else, you know, some, some of it was directed really kind of, getting resources and materials on that. But a lot of it was just spending time with the library and reading books, which was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And even from an affordability standpoint, I find now our library is hugely helpful, especially in that our libraries are becoming so much more advanced with the e-reader books that are available for free that you can download at home so quickly um, to a phone or whatever device. But then also 
Um, I know the last few library districts we've lived in, they actually have dedicated employees that if I send them an email saying, hey, could you put together a unit for me on cellular biology for grades Hmm. four through eight, and I'll pick it up in three weeks. And they have staff dedicated to do that for the schools, and they also extend that to homeschoolers. So for parents Hmm. who are feeling like, man, I don't know how I'm going to find all this stuff and for free, it's like, well, yeah, make use of those librarians. They're terrific. Um, So, yeah, we lived there too. My Um, my guess is that, yeah, I mean, just to build on that for a second, my my guess is there's lots of reasons to homeschool or not to homeschool. But I, if cost is the the issue, um, I, I think you're right. I, I think there's still probably lots and lots and lots of ways to do it in a more cost effective way if you're if you're willing right. to be creative. Yeah, I agree with that. So then, if you think back to your transition um, from homeschooling pretty much all your life, with the exception of kindergarten, right into Duke University. Um, you know, hindsight is obviously always easier, but what do you feel like your parents did well in preparing you for that? And what could you encourage other homeschool parents to think about as they're preparing their kids to do that same similar transition? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe there's kind of two ways to to talk about that. One is just getting into college, right? And that is a meaningful challenge. And when I was applying, um, there weren't, uh, most colleges had had some experience with homeschoolers, but it was like one or two versus mm-hmm. every year they're getting, you know, just a set of homeschool applications. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the benefits of homeschooling when putting together a compelling application, which is really about putting together a compelling high school set of experiences that you can then mm-hmm. put into a compelling application. One of the gifts is just that space that I talked about, right? So I think colleges are looking for many things, but one of them is they're looking for students that have developed some sort of distinctiveness in some area, right? Where they've found something they're interested in, they've pursued it for its own sake. Mm -hmm. And I think homeschooling, you know, it's looking back, I don't know that um, homeschooling allowed me to do anything that I wouldn't have done if I had gone to a public school or, or a different private school, but it just gave me more space to do those things, right? So I was very involved uh, politically uh, in our local community. I volunteered for a political party, which I will go nameless and was actually a congressional page in in high school. And it was just, you know, a pretty meaningful part of my life in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also did some other things in some other communities that yeah, homeschooling just provided the space to pursue those things right. uh, probably more than I would have been able to in a different uh, type of high school experience. And so what that meant is, is when we were applying to colleges, I, you know, I got to present a pretty, I think, unique application to the schools I was going to. Um, and so I think in some ways homeschooling uh, was certainly helpful on that front. Uh, once I got to Duke, um, I think some things that had prepared me well was I was very comfortable being self-directed in learning, right? So the idea of having to own my own learning journey and choose classes and seek out the support that I needed and pick a major and, you know, be able to to survive and maybe even thrive in that environment. Homeschooling, you know, that's kind of what I'd been doing for several years at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are things that I look back, like probably like all of us, and wish I'd done better at college. And, you know, we could talk about that too. But, you know, in terms of that comfort of, of, feeling like I was prepared to do that. That was certainly there. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was a really smooth transition in a ton of ways, actually. One of the other things that I did early on was get involved in a, a campus ministry, Christian campus ministry, which I think was really helpful on a number of fronts. And so I wonder if the transition had gone so smoothly, if I wouldn't have gotten plugged into a community that quickly. Mm, that's um, a good but point. it was certainly helpful. Um, I think academically, the other thing that was, I, I did have a steeper learning curve my first semester in particular than a lot of my peers. And so I think, uh, you know, the reality is I'd been doing work for the same teacher for 12 years at that point. And so just kind mm -hmm. of learning how to understand what a teacher or professor was looking for and how to deliver that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just, I just had a steeper learning curve on that. So, I mean, specifically, I remember a freshman comp or a freshman, yeah, uh, uh, written composition class that everybody at Duke had to take in their first semester. I think my first paper, I think I literally got a D on my first paper in that class. And then just spent a lot of time trying to figure that out. And by the end of the semester, it brought my class grade up to an A uh, for the whole course. But that, but it took a lot of work. It took me a lot of time to sort of figure out how to do less college level work, but how to do it in a way that college was looking for. Um, right. And every professor so, has their own criteria and how to figure out that professor's criteria so that you can yeah, work to it. Yeah, it's different. It's definitely its own learning curve. So then did you take classes through co-ops or community colleges or anything prior to Duke or was Duke truly your first classroom setting? Yeah, it's kind of weird to say. Uh, I went to public school for kindergarten. And after that, Duke was my first classroom setting. Um, yeah, we... There weren't a lot of co-ops then. We did have, uh, kind of in middle school years, we did some things that, that we called a co-op with a few other families, uh, but it was not remotely a classroom setting. It was small enough that it was still felt like homeschooling. Mm -hmm. um, did not do any uh, community college courses in high school. Could have, and I don't know in retrospect why we didn't, but but none of us did. Um, Is that something so, yeah, you I wish mean, you had done? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know about the community college portion of it. Um, no, it's fine. I mean, we can have a separate conversation about, you know, the pros and cons of homeschooling and, and you know, that kind of stuff. But in terms of, do I wish I'd had a classroom, like the specifics of like actually just having a classroom experience? I, I mean, it was, it was fine, right? It was, it, it meant that, like I said, the first semester of college, I, I had a steeper learning curve on some of the, just the, <laughs> the tactics of, you know, thriving in a classroom. But uh, in terms of the learning side of it, that, that was neither here nor there. Right. Because I think what I'm trying to dig into is you mentioned the learning curve of, of you know, managing yourself in a classroom. So when, when did you learn how to take notes or keep track of deadlines for turning in papers and prepping for exams? How much of that was a part of the homeschooling you were already doing with your parents? Or um, where did you figure out how to do all that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I'm still probably trying to figure out how to do some of that. Um, <laughs> no, I do think, look, I, I don't think homeschooling did a great job of giving me that set of skills. Uh, and I think the reality is just in college, you've got so much margin in your schedule, even though it doesn't feel like it at the time. I think I was able to do fairly well with candidly without ever developing some of those rigorous like time management skills around preparing for a deadline. 
Um, but some of it's just fairly intuitive. And so the actual literal note taking, um, I don't know, it's just kind of intuitive. It's, uh, it wasn't, so no, I didn't, I never had a formal, um, here's how you take notes for a class. Um, as I know, I'm sure in retrospect, my parents and I had talked about it, but it, but there was never a point in time where I actually like remember or recall learning the skill of note taking. And then in terms of prepping for a test or prepping for a final paper and sort of, you know, making sure I'm on track to do the work to deliver, you know, an, uh, a quality final paper or exam or something like that. I think a lot of that was just that first semester of like learning how to do that work and, you know, getting, getting the some headwinds the first uh i remember my midterms were were okay not great and again it was just part of that learning process of like okay this is what it means to prepare for a college exam and i kind of figured it out by trial and error that's not that's a really true. that's not a helpful answer i don't think but it's but it's no also, but i think it is what well, it i think is. it's helpful in this way that if we took it to the extreme end of look you've never been in a classroom and still with homeschooling you're able to get to duke and functions well enough that when you left duke you were an interesting candidate for places like mckinsey and kellogg right yeah so yeah, yeah. so clearly uh, i did okay yeah clearly you did just fine um even with those you know, maybe, you know, lack of training in areas that in, in hindsight, you look at and say, oh, that would have, that would have made it a little easier, right? So if, if someone was going to that extreme, which currently most homeschoolers are not, it's, it's so common now with especially homeschoolers in high school to be taking classes outside the home, either online or through a community college. It's pretty rare to see someone in the pure homeschool format of only teacher you've ever had is mom, yeah. um, that, that it's rare to see students not able to access opportunities to learn those skills. I remember learning note-taking um, from going to church on Sunday. Uh, there would be this pamphlet in the bulletin with an outline for the sermon, and I learned how to take notes just from sitting in a sermon once a week. Um, and so there were opportunities even then for learning skills like that. But um, otherwise, I think because the homeschool community is so much larger now, there's so much more available to families wanting to make sure their kids have desk uh, experiences prior to getting into a classroom. Yeah. Which makes a ton of sense. I, I'm laughing because I hadn't even thought about this until just now in the conversation, but I, um, you know, listeners will know that Anne has written a number of books, but one of them is on uh, study skills. And Anne, you were gracious enough to share a copy of that with me probably a decade mm -hmm. ago. Um, and I remember reading it and going, oh, this is what I should have been doing all those years. <laughs> <laughs> But joking aside, I think it does um, it, it does sort of draw on a different uh, point, though, which is I think one of the other things that I experienced in homeschooling is a genuine love of learning and discovery, right? right. And so when I think about then, you know, what allowed me to sort of do all right academically at college, it was that I was genuinely interested in the material that we were learning, right? So what it didn't give me is the sort of the, prof the sort of professional student skill set of like, here's how to specifically study, which is, I, I wish I would have had that. Um, but I think the advantage is, and I remember experiencing that this, the time of recognizing that or realizing that some of my peers who were also doing fine and have carved out great lives and fulfilling lives and all that kind of stuff, School was less of a pure sort of sense of discovery, but in more of just 
kind of a you know early professional thing that they were doing as part of building a professional mm-hmm. life. Right, um, a professional student life. Yep. Yeah, and I um. Yeah, and I think you can do both, right? So it doesn't have to be an either or. But if you have to choose one, I'm I'm glad that what I was given was uh, a a love of learning for its own sake. And I think that has served me well. I think there's that. I totally appreciate that as well. It resonates with me, but also that sense of being an autonomous learner. That yes, my parents were there guiding and supporting and tutoring as needed, but especially as I aged into the junior high years. I got to help drive that bus a little bit. Uh, Mom would hand me the math book at the beginning of the year and say, when do you want to be done? And I would calculate and design out how many lessons I wanted to do each day so I could finish by March 15th or something and get to celebrate summer early. Um, I remember, and and not thinking that was weird though, right? That was felt normal. It wasn't weird to love math. It wasn't weird to want to read biographies of classical composers. It was just fun. And, um, I remember getting into a public high school. We, I transitioned ninth grade into the local public high school and going up to my world history teacher that year and saying, could I please have a syllabus for the course so I can chart out the deadlines and read ahead of schedule. And he just stared at me and started to laugh. He's like, and he just, he walked away laughing. I don't know if he thought I was joking or not, but I was so did, did used to seeing my, no, of course not. Um, I don't think he knew what he was going to teach that year. Like it just, so, uh, but I was so used to having the whole curriculum in advance that I could then pace myself and work ahead of that deadline. And I loved that sense of control and self-control. Um, yeah. And then even at Stanford, I had finished up a course in the psychology department and was really fad, fascinated by it. And so I, it was the spring and I approached the professor and said, um, could you give me a summer reading list? I'd love to dig into this further. And again, it's this blank stare of, of you want what? And I said, I extra books on the topic. What can, where can you direct me? And he was just, he said, I've, I've never been asked that. Let me do some digging and I'll get back to you. Um, and I think both of those for me were characteristic and maybe you too of, being homeschooled, it's like, look, when you were interested in something, you just dove into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Based yourself. And that has been life, a life skill. And I think, I mean, the thing that I, I, I wonder, and I think your family experience may be the same. I think part of that's just our family DNA too, right? So I think if my parents had sent me to public school and high school or something like that, I don't, I think a lot of that still, I still would have gotten out of just being a part of the family that I was in. Mm-hmm. I think homeschooling provided a lot more space for that to be nurtured and to flourish. Right. I think the respect for learning and education would have been there either way, but the flexibility and the freedom to yep. be self-directed was the result of homeschooling. Yeah. And one of the things that um, you and I were even talking about before we started this podcast was, um, you know, the goal of all this and the goal of the story that we are telling ourselves is not to diminish the work being done in public education. We actually together have a lot of respect for what is happening there. And, um, and uh, it's just to explore what the different ways are to get an education because there are a lot of ways to learn. And so I know you and I share the same part on that. Um, can we circle back though? Because can we take this question and sort of then apply it to your career path as well? Like how yeah. do you think homeschooling either helped or hindered you in preparing you for some of the different roles that you've had, because you've got a diverse spectrum there. I mean, McKinsey, you're an executive director of a nonprofit. Um, did it help? Did it make a difference in any way? Or what do you think? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and 
I mean, it's hard to know how much would have been different if I had had a different uh, high school or middle school experience, right? Because I, I, I didn't. And so I, I know I only know what I've got. But I think some of the ways that homeschooling really helped is it gave me a comfort level with risk-taking and being non-conventional. Mm-hmm. Um, and so going from sort of this blue chip management consulting firm and leaving that to go run a Christian campus ministry, that's not a typical career path, right? But it's, <laughs> it, it's wonderful. And, but it's not one that I spent a lot of time worrying about or debating um, after it was clear that that was what God was calling us to do in the next step. Um, and I think homeschooling sort of laid that groundwork of, you know, we, we do what we feel called to do and don't spend a lot of time worrying about conventional wisdom. Um, hopefully they're still wise decisions, but, but not, you know, we're not, you know, wasn't overly worried about following some pre-formatted uh, career path. Um, and I think, you know, in a lot of ways that I've, I've played that, I, you know, the, the things that I've done professionally, and hopefully there'll, there'll be some more things ahead of us before I'm done. Um, it, it wasn't set out to some grand master plan, right? So there was, it was more of a sense of just taking the next challenge and wherever that leads. And I think homeschooling was very, very helpful in that process. I think the other thing it gave me was um, a comfort uh, interacting and viewing people from a wide variety of backgrounds and even ages as peers, more than feeling like the only people I could relate to on a friendship level were kind of people that were a little bit older, a little bit younger than me. Within six um, months of your birth age, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. And so, like, I felt, you know, certainly in high school, a lot of the people that I interacted with, and they weren't friends in a traditional sense, but people I felt very comfortable interacting with were, were oftentimes, you know, meaningfully older than I was. Um, and I think that actually, in particular, in a friend of my career benefited me a lot, that I could could show up in different settings and different contexts. Um, work with people that were very different than me age-wise or demographic-wise or anything else and be able to transition in that environment and, and feel comfortable in those different environments. Um, and, and maybe I would have had that in, in high school public or in a public high school, uh, but I certainly know that's, that's what I got out of homeschooling. Mm. That's good. And we were talking earlier about the university, and I, I just realized you might enjoy me circling back on this, but... Um, I've been speaking with the Dean of Admissions from a number of different universities across the United States, along with uh, Dean Sue Wasilek from Duke University, trying to understand mm-hmm. this question of how do homeschoolers fare on the university and what's the university perspective of them. So there's an upcoming podcast on that as well that we'll dig into it thoroughly. But just this part I found particularly entertaining on the calls that we've had consistently when you and I applied to college, right? So 90s. Um, they were getting, like you said, one or two homeschool applications a year and really didn't know how to evaluate us. Um, you know, it was they, um, the, the, the admissions like perspective at that point was, will this student fit into our university? And since then, the university perspectives almost unequivocally have changed. Instead of asking that question, it's what can the student bring to diversify the perspectives our university has to engage their peers in a way they otherwise have never been engaged, right? It's a complete paradigm shift. And so now with that shift, homeschoolers have actually become an attractive element because there is such a different perspective. Mm 
um, like the the dean of admissions, uh, Steve Farmer at UNC, was telling me this coming class year alone, they have had 200 applications from homeschoolers coming directly out of high school. And that number doesn't even reflect people who were like me, who were homeschooled for a large chunk of time and then maybe attended public or private school for high school. They have no idea how many there are of students with that background because it's not something they measure. But um, it's really not uncommon anymore. And the universities uh, feel comfortable managing those applications. Um, And even more so now in, in light of COVID and how this has changed the ability to do SAT testing and grades, right? So many students are pass fail. Um, two of, of the three that we've spoken with recently have, remar- have remarked that what they have learned from admitting homeschoolers over the years is actually shaping how they're thinking about admitting students during COVID with less of the traditional markers to use. And um, so that's changed. It's really changed. I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Well, no, but- and that's, that's coherent with, with everything I know from Veritas. So for those of you who aren't familiar, the Veritas Forum we were founded out of Harvard University. We, we are disproportionately focused on sort of traditionally top 25, top 50 universities, just because that's that's what we know. Um, and so, you know, I've spent a lot of time over the last half decade getting to know those institutions and the type of students who are there and the professors that are there, et cetera. And that's, um, that's certainly coherent with everything I've observed and that these universities are wanting to recruit and nurture people that have a diverse set of talents and skills and passions versus fitting into a homogenized uh, uh, label or homogenized bucket. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't surprise me at all that homeschooling is a wonderful path to be able to do that well. Right. Yeah. It makes, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It's just, it's been fun to learn along the way to see how much it has changed. So I know you've kind of touched on this in different points, but sort of as a way of pulling it all together, um, do you think there are skills or character or relational benefits that you've experienced as a result of being homeschooled that, especially when you think back to the early um, concerns that family or friends expressed about your, you know, to your parents, why are you homeschooling them, right? Um, That you can sort of even respond to some of those initial concerns about about how you think that that myth of homeschooling has turned out in your favor? Yeah, I, I don't know if this directly answers your question, but one of the things I was thinking about, um, you know, as we were coming into this interview was, you know, my parents really were early pioneers. And I, I remember, again, when we were in Cleveland, Ohio, for a couple of years before moving to North Carolina, uh, there was a knock on the door and there was child you know, child services showed up to our house and wanted to know mm-hmm. what we were doing and wanted to know why my parents hadn't enrolled us in uh, in the local public school or, or you know, a more recognized private school. Um, and that that was a protracted process for a couple of weeks of having to them having to negotiate with the local school district to, to allow it and that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, they did a really good job of shielding us as kids from that. Um, but one of the things we kind of learned very intuitively is to have the courage of our convictions, right? And to be willing to take some risks to do something unconventional if we thought that was mm-hmm. the right thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I probably take for granted that some of those early lessons of being being willing to to chart a diff- different path if we think if my you know if you have some conviction that that's the right thing to do for for whatever reason. I think that's a huge gift. Um, I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, 
Yeah, no, I think we've 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 touched on a lot of other things. I don't know if there's something specific that you want to come back to. Um, but that was, you know, one of the things I, I continue to reflect on being grateful for. Um, no, I think that's well said. I think that that makes a lot of sense. I know um, since having left Stanford and Duke too, every once in a while I'll be approached by homeschool students wanting to do something similar. And so I might throw that one at you here. Like, do you have any final advice to students currently being homeschooled who may have similar ambitions as you once did, right, of attending a great university and making a positive national impact. Um, how would you encourage or challenge them? Yeah, it's a good, good question. Um, you know, I think the, one of the things that homeschool and we've, we've talked about it already, but one of the things that homeschooling allows you to do is to not have to fall into the sort of the pressure cooker professionalization of what it means to be a high school student who's trying to apply to, to, to top universities, right? And I think, you know, it was already a bit of a cookie cutter when we were applying. I think everything I know me says it's, you know, 10X is bad today. Um, and so I think the advantage and the beauty of homeschooling is it sort of opts you out of having to do all of those things. And so I would just encourage people to take advantage of that. So instead of trying to just replicate the same set of check the box exercises that I have to have five extracurriculars and three independent mm -hmm. studies and 12 different volunteer experiences all in high school uh, right. while doing, you know, AP classes on tons of different things, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Instead of trying to just do a, you know, a sort of shadow version of that, like take advantage of the space and the time to go pursue the things you're actually interested in, wherever those might mm -hmm. lead. Right. That's and it's, advice. it's easy advice to give. And I know there's probably some some risk and courage that would go into that. But I think I think it plays to the strengths of being homeschooled. Um, and so yeah. if you're going to go pursue something, do it because it's something you're actually interested in versus feeling like you've got to do it to, to check a box to get ready for college. Right. Um, but when you go do it, do okay. it. Go do it really well. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like pursue an unusual internship. Right. Shift your school year. So that in the spring you can go intern somewhere that otherwise wouldn't have been available in the summer and exactly. do school in the summer instead. Or um, I know my parents were great because they connected me with a number of people in the medical field because originally that was where my my passion was. It was physically helping people through either biomedical engineering or pharmacies or um, you know I saw I went into surgery twice with a surgeon. I've seen about six different surgeries like over the body being worked on and it was like educational doesn't even come close to describe it right it was hugely informative for me about understanding what goes on behind the scenes in medicine and is this something I want to pursue I was able to do some volunteer work there and in doing so learned a lot about myself and about that career field that actually directed me away from it but how helpful was that right not to get to college and to spend years training for a profession that I only would have later discovered wasn't a good fit for me um yeah. And so as a homeschooler to say, yeah, you've got be, take that flexibility and use it to your advantage and then build it into your narrative, right? So that as you apply to universities, that's very much a part of the story of who you are becoming and um, how you are educating yourself on a broad spectrum. So I totally agree with you. And, and let me, and I, I'm, I'm sorry that that's how you had the uh, excuse to dive deep into medicine during high school, but I'm glad you at least <laughs> got that. <benefit laughs> that was from great. It. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing that comes to mind for me that's um, not the same at all, but but I was just reminded of it. I um, 
I ended up covering, I ended up doing sports journalism for our local Shelby City, you know, Shelby Star newspaper for the city oh, I newspaper. I didn't know that. That's yeah, so fun. we covered. Uh, I ended up covering college basketball for them I, a little bit, not not a ton, but so instead of like trying to like figure out a way to join the high school newspaper that for the high school that I didn't go to, or try to start our own little you know homeschool newspaper that you know who knows what that would would even been back then. You know, I had friends that were involved in. Uh, the, the local city newspaper and they, they drafted me into to doing actual like sports journalism, which was a blast, that's right? But that's fantastic. a great example of like homeschooling created the space to do that. And I wasn't doing that to go check a box on a college application. I was just sort of taking advantage of the freedom that I had to, to go do something, something interesting. Right. And I think that also speaks to an earlier point you made um, when you were talking about your writing class at Duke and how I think you said the first paper you got was a D it's not because you weren't a good writer, because certainly the newspaper wouldn't be paying you for your work and publishing your, your writing if that were the case. But more that was around um, understanding how to work with different professors and teachers and their expectations. So uh, I didn't know that about your history though with the newspaper. That's so fun. Yeah. So. Good. Well, David, I appreciate you making all this time. Before we close out, is there anything else that we may have missed that you wanted to hit on in terms of um, work that your parents have done? Or do you feel like this has been... Uh, a thorough picture of homeschoolers a generation later. <laughs> no, I, I think we've covered the the things that I, I was thinking about prior to coming to the conversation. I, I really appreciate the. It's been a gift just to have an excuse to do some of this recollecting. It's um, it's probably not something I do enough of. So thank you, Anne. My pleasure. Well, thank you so much, David, for making time to share your perspectives and experiences with us today. I'm grateful to have had you as an expert on our show. And especially thank you, friend, for joining us. I look forward to the next time. All right. Thank you, Ann. Thanks for joining Ann Crossman on our podcast, helping you homeschool confidently with help from the experts. You can do this, and we are here to help. We invite you to follow us on social media and subscribe to our podcast so you stay up to date on the latest resources. See you next time.